Orange works. Everything works when your team works. And welcome back to Orange Works Insights, the podcast where we talk to global leaders in the world of team performance and employee engagement. And on this episode, I am joined by two guests who have vast experience in this area. They've worked with some of the world's biggest companies. They are known for creating powerful and engaging events. And really, they just have this intuitive understanding of this whole area. To tell me a little bit more about the guys before we hear the interview, I'm joined by David Bassett, Managing Director of Orange Works. How are you, David? Great, Patrick. How are you keeping today? I'm, I'm very well. I'm very well. I have I'm to excited say, excited about this one. I I can see it in your eyes, uh, David. You were very excited throughout this whole process because I, I thoroughly enjoyed doing this interview. And um, but I hadn't come across the guys before. But you were very f- familiar with them and their work from quite some time ago. So tell us a little bit about them. Our experiences of working with the guys over the years goes back to about 2001, from when they were Delaney Marketing, um, through to their into their, their next uh, kind of evolution of their, their path and their business, uh, Ovation, and then into Sunua. So they specialize in those larger events that were coming to Ireland back in the day um, of engaging and putting Ireland on a world stage. So very, very enigmatic, impressive people. Um, anytime we've worked for them on their large events, albeit in a very, very small cog, they made you want to perform to your absolute best. So. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of time for the guys. Um. Well, just on that, what what is it about them that makes? Because this this is not just you know this is very much you're talking about an event, but I guess anyone listening to this podcast, any leader, any team leader, that's that's what they want. They want people to want to perform for them. So, what was it about, and what is it about Patrick and Porig of Sulnua that make you want to do your best for them? I think it's. The, my personal experience of working with the guys many moons ago was that personal touch, that human to human um, and a genuine belief in making that contact with everybody within the actual team. Um, the way they do it is very disarming. Um, uh, it's, it's amazing to see and a lot of the way we would have interacted with them, we would have taken into our own business as well. So it's that personal touch that they really do make an effort to get to know you as a person. And uh, I mean, they kind of speak about getting, changing the environment for that creativity. We've been on sides of mountains with them. We've had their clients doing many amazing things over the years. And when you're working for people like that, they do make you want to go above and beyond. Okay. Well, look, we're go- let's hear the interview. They they do really get into how they, I suppose, achieve that, um, have that impact on people. And I suppose some of the, what you might call the secret sauce of, of engaging people, engaging team members, performing at events and performing just in a room and making people want to follow you. Um, but we also hear about their sort of their own business journey as well, from Delaney Marketing all the way through to a uh, huge organization and then back to sort of startup mode like they are today. Um, so There's some energy. It, incredible energy. Yeah. It really has. So, look, enjoy the interview. Um, Porig Gilligan and Patrick Delaney, co-founders of Sulnua. Um, and I began by asking them to tell us a bit about the name Sulnua, what it means and why it's so significant. Orange works. Everything works when your team works. So for an Irish audience, obviously, Sulnua means new eye. Uh, everybody knows that from primary school. No matter how poor their Irish might be, they know that Sul is an eye and Nua is new. So uh, the concept behind it, obviously, is uh, a new perspective, a new vision, a new understanding, a new way of looking at things. 
and it's the latest kind of iteration in our collective career, which goes back to the 90s. We started working together in the 90s and we started a company which was originally called Delaney Marketing Consultant, which uh, then evolved into Ovation, which eventually was acquired by a Swiss-based uh, global event company called MCI. And um, eventually then, after seven years with MCI, uh, Delaney and Gilligan went back into startup mode. And that startup mode is called Sul Nua. So you've gone from managing very large teams back to managing a pretty small team. Um, and that's certainly something I'm going to get to in a little while with you. But let's go back again uh, to that, that very beginning, uh, Pat. Delaney Marketing, what was it? What were you guys doing then? We were trying to be incredibly clever by coming up with a name called Delaney Marketing Consultants. <laughs> and that's an acronym for DMC. And that was the type of business we were in, which was destination management consultants. So even from that initial outset, we wanted to come to the market in a different way, different name. I think we had uh, illusions of grandeur because we called ourselves Ireland's premier DMC. We'd been open a month. Um, <laughs> and then that was quickly knocked out of us because the phone didn't ring. And then we realized that what we had to do is we had to go out and we had to give customers something they wanted. Our reputation was built in the past in other areas, and that's not enough. So what we <coughs> quickly uh, understood was that if we were going to have a successful company, we needed to be very focused on the customer. And if we're going to serve a customer, you need a group of people around you. So that's, that's been, I suppose, in a nutshell, our secret from the beginning. Um, a bit of humility, um, a bit of drive, um, and very definitely um, the ability not to believe our own lies. Oh, well, that's always handy. Um, and it's something I think comes comes over time in business as well as you start to develop that humility and it, by goodness, it, it really pays off in so many cases. But those first customers that you figured out what they wanted, what did they want? What they wanted was, and they still wanted, is a unique experience. They wanted to come to Ireland, which was the destination we were selling. And because they were in the incentive market sector, which is a sector which is very high end, high yield, high impact, they're very sensitive by their nature to the fact that they want to do something which no one else has done because they have earned the right for this unique experience. And then in the marketplace, there was and still are really good DMCs, but we focused, focused on customization something that made sense to them. And then looking for, as Park said, and even in the name of our new company, Sul Newer, looking for new ways to interpret what's there, to make it more relevant to the customer. So that was in terms of entertainment, in terms of the way that we went to market, we were much more speedy than our competitors. Uh, but I think it was primarily that sense of, hmm, let's have a look what's out there. Let's see how we can make that and interpret it in a way which is relevant to that customer. Or give us a flavour of some of those early customers, maybe a name or two, or even just the type of companies that, that you were working with and partnering up with. Sure. So um, our customers were obviously outside of Ireland initially. Uh, so we were dealing with uh, corporations based in the United States, uh, corporations based in the UK. And in many cases, we were working with those uh, corporations through an intermediary or an agency that was actually specialist at designing these unique incentive travel experiences. So among our first customers going back to the, the 90s, we had, I remember, um, a large group from Toyota uh, in the Florida area. So an agent who was uh, essentially kind of working with um, Toyota in the entire kind of Florida um, state 
and um, was running a contest for for Toyota. The kind of prize for which was a, a trip to Ireland. Wow. So we had to kind of design that. We had to come up with a absolutely amazing experience in Ireland for two groups, of, I think, of about 150 people. They came back to back. And uh, so we learned a huge amount just from the get-go, dealing with uh, with corporations, understanding what their objectives were, and then how we would be able to deliver on those kind of corporate objectives in and through an incentive travel experience. So you were looking after customers like Toyota, but you were helping them look after essentially their customers, i.e. their employees, is that right? So these are the people working for Toyota, their teams, their team members, who um, and, and they wanted to show them an amazing experience with your help. Um, so this is going back to the 90s when, I don't know, was employee engagement, which is one of the hottest words out there right now in a time of near full employment, was it the same back in the 90s? Was this something that every company really was focusing on or was this sort of more innovative companies that were looking a little bit ahead and really getting it? I think employee engagement was is always <clears throat> relevant and has always been relevant. These were particularly sales, um, sales people and distributors. So in that environment, um, employee engagement, as in rewarding for achieving a company goal, has always been there. I think what's happened of late is companies have understood that, again, the culture of the company, the engagement of all the employees, not just those who might be in one particular sector, that's what makes a company great. So whereas the, uh, the sales element of incentives has always been there, you'll find now that company goals, which incentive travel is all about, delivering on a company goal has now expanded to the realisation that you need everybody in order to deliver, to deliver exemplary for, oh my God, I can't even say. That's easy for you fantastic. to say. Fantastic. That's, that's yeah. easy for you to say. Fantastic service. <laughs> we got there. I, I just wanted to add something because I think um, those of us who are involved in the, um, in the whole area of incentivising workforces and so on are very heartened to uh, to know of the recent round table um, conference that took place in in the United States about a month ago, uh, a group called the Round Table, um, which is made up of I think about 150 of the CEOs of major companies in the United States, and they had previously defined the purpose of an associate of a of a corporation as uh, an entity that is responsible for delivering shareholder value. That was their kind of full and final definition of what a corporation was for. And they redefined it and published it uh, on their website and made it to the front of the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal and so on. And it was just very heartening to see that corporations are now realising that it's not just about shareholder value, that they have responsibilities to their employees, to the families of their employees, to the areas in which they work, to the environment in which they work. And uh, that kind of throws open then the the whole idea of incentivising or motivating workforces. It has to be much more inclusive than just focusing on sales. And increasingly, I think what we're seeing is that incentive travel experiences and team building activities and so on are very much kind of focused not just on a sales result but on actually reinvigorating a company culture maybe defining a company culture so bringing people away out of the actual kind of bricks and mortars in, in which they live and work on a daily basis into the wilderness maybe or at least away from what's normal for them uh, changing that up and then creating this uh, opportunity for them to connect in a new way because that ultimately informs the cult company culture and lives out 
what they say on their website they believe in promises kept yeah and and th- this is something i know you've you've said many many times um pat culture eats strategy for breakfast oh we love that phrase we really love that phrase Why? yeah why? Because in all our business experiences, we've understood that you can have amazing strategy plans, but the activation requires the engagement of the total group. And I mentioned earlier on that, um, you know, humility was beaten into us, if not something that was naturally there. And anybody who's trying to deliver on a project at the level that is required in today's corporate world or association world realizes that it's teamwork. Um, I think we understood it from the beginning. In fact, we, we always engaged our team. We, we, we put in and we're lucky enough to be recognized as one of the great places of work to work in Ireland. Um, and we saw that in real life, that when we treated our teams um, in the same way as, as we treat each other with respect um, and with a sense of it's this is more this is this is more than just a job it has to be cause driven that's in it's inherent in the what we believe and it's inherent in the, in the way we operate that if you can't be very proud of your brand in every sense then you shouldn't be involved in the company and i think that's that's now common much more commonly accepted it sure is and and so it, either today or even back then how would that look like so to to you would come in every day and you say we need to you know keep instilling the sense of purpose and, um, you know, it's a purpose driven organization. How would that break down practically on what you did and how you dealt with your teams every day? Well, we had a great phrase um, on our boardroom wall. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, um, we we, we spent actually a long time, maybe kind of uh, six months uh, engaging with our entire workforce. This is when we were running Ovation, which at that time probably kind of numbered about 60 people in offices in Dublin and in Belfast. And, um, you know, when we started off and it was just the two of us and then maybe four people, it's it's easy to kind of to uh, it's easy to implement a culture because it is how you actually behave with the others that you're touching on a daily basis. Uh, there's a great phrase like that culture is um, and values are, are, are caught, not taught. So in a way, it's 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 how you model. It's the way that you live that causes other people to kind of to feel included to feel connected to feel that they're part of the culture but when you start going beyond as we did beyond everybody being in one room to having say three rooms to having then 10 rooms to having sort of 60 people you have to do it in a much more formal way so you need to actually take time out and you need to actually bring everybody on a journey a kind of a vision mission and values journey where that's defined uh, not just by what you believe, but what collectively you can actually get everybody to sign up to. Uh, so we did that over about six months. We had outside uh, consultants working with us and uh, it became a very, very powerful uh, activity for our company to do. Um, one of the results of it was that we we established I know there's a difference between vision and mission, uh, but we couldn't actually quite have statements for it. Yeah, we couldn't figure it out. So we actually, we just had one statement that's like two. Well, that keeps uh, things nice and simple, yeah, isn't yeah. it? And our and we are very simple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But our statement was people and relationships are the DNA of Ovation. And I can remember on a number of occasions standing in the boardroom um, because we always were standing when there was a crisis meeting. You know, you didn't sit when it was crisis. Yeah. But I remember there was a crisis meeting and we were kind of, like we were we were in trouble from a financial perspective. The market wasn't doing very well. We had a lot of kind of headcount that we were responsible for. 
And I remember kind of making decisions through that filter. We'd, you know, you'd look at the wall and you see people in relationships are, are our DNA. So we have to actually start with that from the perspective of how decisions are made. And it ended up being, I think, a, a really useful as well as powerful way of doing it. Are there, because again, like with employee, employee engagement, culture, purpose, values are huge buzzwords right now as well. Um, do you think sometimes there are companies run the danger of just creating a, a mission statement or a set of values, but not necessarily believing in them just because they feel it's something that, uh, you know, a millennial potential employee may, may want, for example? Sure. Um, a bit like greenwashing in terms of yeah. the environment. That becomes very transparent very, very quickly. And um, the, the, the mission and the company culture has to be lived and, you know, in very simple ways. And, 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 you know, in our business, we would have a lot of suppliers who are coming to sell to us. So we were in the driving seat. But we always insisted that anybody who came in our door was treated with respect. They'd be given coffee. They'd have their name up on a sign welcoming them. They'd be given all the courtesies as if as they are equal partners, because, again, in the vision of how life works, you need a team to deliver on that customer promise. So if your if your starting point is we're going to deliver on our promises and you understand that that can only happen when everybody is engaged, then the very practical ways in which you recognize people, you know, in, in terms of when there's a crisis in people's lives and they need extra time off or they need kind of emotional support. That's, you know, we ran we ran an open door policy. In reality, it was very definitely we had no doors at all because that wasn't the type of people we are. So we feel really, really strongly um, that you're found out very quickly uh, and then people move on. And it, it, that reminds me of something else I heard you say before, that it's not it's not B2B, it's not about B2C, it's about oh, H2H. Yeah. yeah, I love that. I love, and actually, I'd love to have claimed that it was uh, me who, who came up with that, but I, I actually, I liberated it from somebody else. <laughs> and it's, if you if you keep in mind that the person opposite you, whether it's a customer or whether it's a, a staff member, a colleague, is a human being first, then it's, it's pretty easy to... Um, be able to find the way in which you operate. And I think there's a very famous man. In fact, it's uh, uh, the current Pope who said, um, you know, the three things you need to know is please, thank you and sorry. So those kind of words, I think, underpinned everything we do. And um, because we when we screw up, we say sorry. When we want to engage with somebody, we say please. And then when we do engage, we say thank you. So it's it's pretty simple really yeah. you just have to live it yeah yeah exactly and um porig you mentioned earlier on just about getting outside the walls of the organization and i i'd love to with your experience of many many years in this wh when is the right time to take people outside the walls of your organization is it just when you want to incentivize them and give them a great trip to, to say thank you or has that has it turned into something way bigger than that and are there are the opportunities when you should bring people out and when you want to achieve certain things expanded over the years that you've been in business I think probably the uh, the psychologist would be able to give you the uh, the exact sort of uh, rhythm as to how often it should happen in the course of a year but but certainly I think there's a huge value and I think companies have have always kind of realized this there's a there's a huge value to changing the environment um you know when when people are used to seeing each other in their business setting on a day-to-day -day basis it's very easy for habits to set in that may not be the ones that are actually igniting creativity or whatever uh, so when you want to kind of to change it up you need to change the environment so bringing people out and I think in particular 
you know, bringing people into a natural environment, um, you know, where they can feel the rain on their skin and, and, and the cold in their bones. Like, it's, it's, it's a good thing. And, and I think those sort of, um, those wilderness experiences that, uh, you know, increasingly companies are, are, are turning to, I think are really powerful because they take people outside their, their comfort zone and they create kind of um, opportunities for relating and connecting with each other in a much, much different way. And ultimately, I think what we've realised is that if, if trust is at the heart of how people relate to each other, well, then they will do great things together. And I think you can foster trust uh, in and through this type of activity. And I'd say just to add to that is that it's don't wait until there's a crisis. Because if you wait until that crisis, then there's extra pressures on everybody. So the opportunity to innovate and iterate, which is th- there are two other buzzwords but, and very, very necessary words for companies to, to change what they're doing, even slightly. You need to have the environment where there's, there's not a sword hanging over your, over your head. Companies should, as Park has rightly said, you know, take their employees out their team members out into a different environment. That can be even a different setup in terms of the internal, but obviously the external environment is is very motivating in its own right. But do it now. Yeah. Don't wait until there's a crisis because that pressure that comes when you're trying to empty mm-hmm. the swamp, it's harder to take the long-term view. And if you're going to be successful as a company, you need to be able to take a longer-term view. It's like what they say when you're looking for investment or you're trying to raise capital, don't wait until you actually need the capital or yeah. where you can see the point where you'll need it. Do it when you're feeling flush. Yeah, you know, and, and people tell. They can feel. Yeah. People feel. And again, it's about the human. Just think about it. Yeah, we all feel. We intuitively know when there's bullshit. Yeah. Should the, should the manager or the team leader be at the, at the event or the offsite or at the experience? I would say absolutely. I, I think one of the great things that happens when you go out of the office, the hierarchy is left behind. And I think that's a powerful thing. And I think there's something really good about leaders in particular allowing themselves to be seen as vulnerable. And, you know, they're not the, easy. No, it's not. A, it's not at all. But like often kind of the, uh, you know, the leader in the in, in the office is not the one who's actually particularly fast when there's uh, some kind of activity going on outside of the office that might be part of a, of a team building a, a activity. So in a way, it, it shows that kind of humility, which, which Pat referred to already. It shows that vulnerability. And I think that makes it easier to relate to people as well. And I think it creates a much more even keel in terms of a workforce environment. So absolutely, you know, I, I think it would be wrong if the, if the leadership were not part of those activities. I, I- I assume there's probably a, a large cultural element to that particular question that maybe there are certain cultures where hierarchy is a lot more embedded and a lot more important. So at a time when, it, it, let's say, pick Dublin, for example, when we have incredibly diverse teams, like different people from different um, uh, countries uh, forming individual teams in Ireland, where your team leader might be from Asia, might be from America, might be from England. Uh, that probably kind of creates quite an interesting dynamic when it comes to experiences here, because they may not all they may not always see humility and uh, and vulnerability as something that should be um, allowed to be shown. So that's probably something that uh, is a hard one to navigate. Not really. No, I don't think so. I think that's a cop out. Um, um, vulnerability um, and the confidence to know that you don't know everything should actually be the hallmark of a leadership. And if that leader doesn't have that, 
um, that asset or at least recognise the need for it, then they shouldn't be a leader. So I don't buy into that business of, well, it's, it's difficult. Of course it's difficult, but that's why we're doing it. And you've made a great point. Um, you know, today we're much more culturally diverse. But I can tell you one thing. If you're from Asia, and we, we work all over the world. You yeah. know, we work in Asia, North America, South America. People who are vulnerable, people who are real, people who have a vision, it's the same whether you come from Asia or whether you come from the United States. They're obviously, the way they manifest itself can be slightly different and you need to be culturally sensitive, absolutely. But the essence is there. So we believe that leadership will only come when you're leading from behind. You know, that, that the old days when you actually mandated or prescripted people to do, to, to do it's not, it's not going to work. Very interesting. And the, the, the whole area of performance is something I wanted to touch on briefly with you guys because you are known as two extremely powerful performers when you're on stage. I know you do events all around the world. You're, you know, one of your events was recognised in Croke Park very highly last year, I believe. Um, so you guys understand performance. And essentially a sort of a leader, a team leader, a team manager has to be a performer to a certain extent, don't they? They have to know what the team needs from them to be influenced and to, to get the best out of them. And um, but again, it doesn't come naturally to everyone. So what 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 are your thoughts on performance and advice maybe to people about how they should perform um, in front of a team of two or 200? It's a it's it's a really interesting question, because in a way, um it is ultimately linked in with, with, with personality. And I think we would certainly have been kind of influenced quite a bit by the Jim Collins book, Good to Great, where he, um, I think the first of his steps from of, of going from good to great is all around the kind of the, uh, the kind of the personality of the leader. And strangely, what good to great illustrates is that the, the best and most consistent leaders and the ones who have actually delivered the best return uh, to their company over a consistent amount of time have actually been humble leaders. They haven't been the performers. They haven't been the kind of the high mark individuals that we all know, um, you know, associated with the likes of, you know, General Motors like Jack Welch or, you know, Bill Gates with Microsoft or Steve Jobs with, with, with Apple. They haven't necessarily been, been those brilliant performers. Uh, they've been much more kind of um, self-deprecating, humble, quieter individuals and uh, I think for me what I take from it um, you know I think a, a good leader ultimately has to be herself or himself you know if, if, if you're you're modeling who you are and not pretending to be somebody different I think ultimately that's authentic mm. and authenticity in leadership is 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 crucial and it's what shines through so um, yeah so I, 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 I wouldn't kind of like to say here that you have to be somebody who can go onto a stage and be brilliant. Uh, some of the most endearing people on a stage are the ones who fumble, mm -hmm. are the ones who kind of stutter, yeah. are the ones who Back don't. vulnerability. Exactly, exactly, yeah. exactly. They can be a much-loved and inspirational leader for the very reason that they're not star performers. Yeah. 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 And I think listening, a good performer will listen because they will be, have, they'll be always looking to see how they can get their point across in an appropriate way. The worst leader is the, the natural garrulous, uh, you know, what we imagine is a great leader, you know, is able to shake hands with 57,000 people all at one time and is, is, is the life and soul of the party. But 
that's not what leadership is about. Leadership and performance, real performance, is about achieving a goal. And in order to achieve that goal, you need to, to listen really, really well to see how to put the point across that makes sense for in your audience. Um, so it's, it's, it's probably the complete opposite of what people naturally feel is, is the, uh, the leader type. It's quite it's very interesting, quite probably quite reassuring to hear for people as well, because I think, you know, most of us don't feel that we're performers per se. Um, so knowing to be ourselves and, and listening, I think, is, is a really good point as well, because probably if you're the type of person who can listen to your team, you can also listen to the market. You can feel which way the wind is blowing and you're probably a better at steering the ship as a result. Um, so it's it's those soft skills, really. It keeps coming back to the soft yeah. skills yeah. with you guys. Yeah, I'd actually like to just contribute one final thing on, on that in relation to leadership, because it's certainly been something that, you know, we, we've been blessed in many respects that it's not just the two of us. It's it's a much bigger group. But in, in particular, we've been blessed with having a kind of a, a third person that has actually worked with us from the very beginning who doesn't have the type of personality that we have. Um, his name is Jared Mulligan and he's been a, a key part of um, everything that we've done for the last kind of 25 years. And he has all of the... Um, wonderful soft skills that I don't have you know I, I'm not going to say whether Pat has them or not he no, probably yeah, does yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah but I certainly don't have them and uh, but 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 thankfully I have him as a confidant and a friend and a business colleague and that has made a huge difference um, because often you know I'll miss a point completely I'll misunderstand what somebody is saying to me because I'm not listening properly and frequently over the years then you know quiet word in my ear from Jared and suddenly I realise I've gotten that completely wrong and I've been able to kind of go back and you know do the right thing or you know take the right step as a result of actually being put right because my own sort of limitations are as they are uh, because I have one type of personality mm -hmm. and I think you know finding kind of in a, in a business envir environment finding a kind of a diversity in leadership styles particularly in terms of the you know, the leadership of an organization uh, is, 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 is wonderful. Um, you know, Pat and myself tend to have more extrovert sort of viewpoint or whatever. And it's been really, I think, wonderful for us to have another person that we absolutely trust 100% who's able to provide that other perspective. So would that suggest that, if, you know, any team managers or, or, or leaders listening to this, this podcast, that the you would advise maybe to build a, a small team of mentors, for example, be it one or be it two or three people that you can sort of call up and maybe just bounce ideas off and let them know what you did today and it was that right or whatever it might be. I think we believe fully that you need to have around you people that you trust. And that trust comes when it's earned and uh, that small group, I mean, we do it to each other. We're, we're very different, but we're very the same as well. And uh, but I trust implicitly that I Porik has my best interests and in heart. And it's obviously the same way. And with our colleague, Jared, it's exactly the same way. And you can expand that team if you set the rules. You want to have, you know, the best way to earn trust is to is to uh, is to show it. Uh, which again it means being vulnerable uh, I don't know who said this I think I liberated it from somebody or maybe it was Roger Tonder um, uh, a gentleman that we worked with in MCI and he said the role of a leader is to be a vet so it's the vision 
the environment and the talent. And to do those things, to be a good vet, again, you, you need to be very aware of what you're good at and you should only do what, it's with your great line, you only do what you only you can do, but then be conscious that that's not going to be enough. So you yeah. need other people around you. Very good. Um, I just finally want to fast forward to today. So we've, we've heard about the days in, in DMC, innovation, and then uh, Sul Nua was born. And obviously in the name, new eye, a new way of looking at things, new, a new perspective. Does that suggest that you felt there was a new perspective needed in the industry? Had things changed to the point where a fresh look is needed and a fresh approach? I think there's always a fresh approach needed. Um, I think in our case, we, we were coming into a slightly new environment. We were working more in an advisory role as opposed to an actual execution role. So we needed, obviously, to have a value proposition that was different in the world of consultancy and advisory. So that's our kind of proposition. We, we, we believe that we bring a different perspective. Uh, we believe that we see things differently. And uh, we're working very specifically within the niche of business events uh, working with destinations, venues, hotels, agencies, associations, but all under that kind of niche heading. The places where teams will go to be built or learning and development will take place. You're working with those destinations to make them as attractive. and Yeah, we're, work- we're working with destinations on how they can actually create uh, an, an appealing kind of um, basis for attracting people to come to that destination. So we're working kind of outside of Ireland, as Pat said already. Uh, Pat's just back from Sri Lanka. Mm. Uh, I'm just back from Slovenia. We're both going to the Bahamas. So, like, you know... We're, to work, we're blessed. to work, yeah, to, to work. work. Strictly to work, for yeah. work. Like, we're, we're blessed to actually get an opportunity to go to wonderful destinations around the world. And, and, and why we're going there is because people want a different perspective on how they can actually market their destination to attract that type of business. And what kind of things are they asking you? Um, well, we, we, we have three service offerings. One is in strategy, so creating strategic plans uh, with a good cultural base, obviously, um, to deliver um, this p- specific type of business. Marketing, we provide marketing services, and then we provide training. Um, I think the, 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 our, our value proposition is very definitely based on we've been doing this a long time. I mean, we're, we, we, we're not all things to all people. We are experts in the meetings and events area. And we have made a ton of mistakes. It's the learnings from the mistakes that we feel is attractive to people because, you know, you can, you can write the plans, you can come up with the creative ideas, you can teach but if all of those are absolutely centered in experience and a continuous commitment to learning and not making the same mistake twice, then we found that that new view, you know, when we come in, there are many consultants. In fact, there's too many bloody consultants all over the place. It's, and we, in fact, we're moving away from consultants to advice because we're neither arrogant nor stupid enough to tell, go into destinations or companies and say, you must do this. What we love to do is to engage with a company or a destination, listen really well to what they want to achieve and then to go back into our bag of experience and say, OK, well, here's what we would suggest. Here's how we made a mistake. And we found that it's the, the, you know, the opening line is we're bringing you 35 years of mistakes. It's a pretty good value proposition. <laughs> that, that resonates with people an awful lot more than saying, Here's a here's a 50-page a report that's not commercially based, that's not 
committed that you know they're committed to delivery so okay and i know every single uh, uh client customer that you partner with is, is going to be different have different needs but are there any one or two fundamental pieces of advice you could give to people listening from that industry right now to say the this is, these are a couple of the things you need to do uh, fundamentally to make your, yourselves, your destination, an attractive place for corporates to, to bring their teams. Brilliant. Yeah, this is what we actually charge money for. seems like a nice yeah. man. We should, we should give... I, I think the first thing, it's, it, it's, it's kind of obvious, but in a way there are, I think, 197 different countries in the world. So, and then if you look at the number of cities in each of those countries, it, it gets into the thousands. And all of those cities, all of those countries, all of those regions are competing with each other. And in many cases, they're, um, they're highlighting the same kind of features uh, in order to try and attract people. So obviously you need to be different. You need to find something that is going to actually set you apart, that's going to meet a need that there is in the marketplace. So I think understanding the marketplace and then under, understanding how something unique about your destination can meet that need in the marketplace is probably the starting point. Yeah, and I would add be engaged because I think we're moving from an environment, particularly from a destination marketing point of view, where it was broadcast a lot of information and then hope that somebody picked it up. I think in order to be effective today, you need to be engaged in activities and in delivering value that's relevant to the customer. And still too many companies um, and destinations and organizations around the world are just volume works, throw it out, where there's no level of engagement. And for sure, today, it's all about engagement and authenticity. And then every customer won't be right for you. But those who are right and, and see the value proposition has, in fact, mean something to them, then you'll have those customers for life if you deliver on them. Yeah. So it's being more selective and being engaged. Finally, finally, you've moved, you guys have moved from managing a team and leading a team of 60 people to what now? What are we, what are we in Sulnua? Eight. Eight. So, you know, big difference in numbers. How have you found that transition? Um, and, and you know, what, what have you learned from that? Well, I think we actually went from managing 60 to over 3,000 people in the last, in the, when we were working with MCI. And we had opened 3, offices. Yeah, wow. that was the size of MCI. MCI is the largest meetings and events company in the world. And we, we opened 100 offices in different parts of the world. So it's not the volume it's the way you operate. And I think in uh, Sulnua Towers, Sulnua Way, our world headquarters, it's the same. You can only have six or seven people in front of you. So mm. it really, if you concentrate on the human to human bit, then all of the other aspects you can scale up. Um, so it's not such a big deal. But we, we, we had left that corporate environment, the large corporate environment where we were moving around the world and we were going from board meetings to board meetings because we wanted to get back to having a small team that we could work with in, in a much more engaged and much more personal way. So it, it hasn't been it hasn't been difficult at all. In fact, it's been a it's been a pleasure and a, and a, and a gift, a real gift to have a small team rather than 3000 people. Orange works. Everything works when your team works. Bora Gilligan and Patrick Delaney, co-founders of Sul Nua there in an interview I thoroughly enjoyed. Uh, David Bassett, Managing Director of Orange Works, has stayed with me and looks like you enjoyed that interview too as well, David. Yeah, and I know what you're going to say. Yes, is I have to take one take-home piece. I have to be succinct and yeah. precise. Everything that I know not to be, if I'm being <laughs> honest. Well, I'm here to keep control of you. Okay, so the thing that struck you most. Yeah, trust. How they articulated that trust 
if trust is the heart of how people relate to get to to each other, they will do great things. That's you can. That's very profound for me. You can easily gloss over that. But fundamentally, if we don't have a team that trusts each other, it's very difficult to build on that and move that team forward. It's it's impossible, actually. And I suppose as part of the process of building that trust, it's about, and we talked about this in the interviews, getting outside the four walls of the office and getting into new territory, new environments and, and having experiences. Yeah, it's, it's proven to work. It's it's those shared experiences outside your normal working environment. And what we see time and time again is that ROI, people trying to quantify because of that spend for those engagements uh, to us, to your outside suppliers, hotels, venues, whatever, but also the cost of the business of having that team out of the, of the office is, is, is sometimes lost uh, on suppliers. That It's not only just that cost, it's the unseen cost of having yeah. that team out. And like, how can you go back to your uh, management board and say, we need to do this uh, team away day or an engagement piece it's going to cost X and obviously there has to be that return on investment. It's trying to quantify that mm. is actually quite difficult. So what we get asked this all the time. And the one thing um, I would suggest to anybody who's thinking about doing an external um, event or working with a supplier or an engagement piece is clarify what is success for you. Make sure it's absolutely completely clear because success for you will be different to success for your supplier. So if your caterer comes in, success for them is that the food is delivered on time, it's lovely, it's hot, it's cold, whatever uh, food options you have, and they've delivered it. That's success for them. Success for you and that is something completely different. So it's that would be a key metric or key thing that I would suggest is that you articulate to everybody, including people like Orangeworks, success for me means this yeah and from that you can start building on what your vision looks like and we would always suggest that internally what we do in orangeworks is we do a team engagement map it's a plan it's it sounds very fancy it's not it's mm. just planning out after you've done this day because there tends to be a lot of focus on the day making sure that everything's right and rightly so um as you look at me with with like that and rightly so yeah. um but what happens after that day there needs to be a couple of interactions. How do we relive that day? How can we get the maximum engagement post event? And we would always suggest that if we can take some sort of video or photograph, so you do it yourself, and then you set up some sort of internal communication, an e-zine, uh, something that goes on screens, maybe have a coffee morning to relive the photographs of the day. Sounds quite simple. It's not being done. And you get another engagement of people that, oh, do you remember Patrick when he was in Dublin doing X? Mm. So, and we would even take it a step for, further is within our map, we would go, this is your event. After X amount of days, you should do that internal follow-up piece, coffee morning, photographs, easing, whatever it is. Then you need to plan a non-Orangeworks event. So we're not talking about spending money with us. We're talking about how to relive those um, mission objectives that you need we have amazing free resources in the city, museums, galleries within Dublin City. Or in, and if it's a city you are, that's Dublin's not close to, then look at your own resources. Take that team and do something. Maybe it's a walk during lunch. I mm. don't know. But something shared together. And then you do that follow-up 
again of photograph interaction and then you'd create that cycle so you're getting four or five points yeah all out of that one day so yeah. don't see it as just this one thing but you can you can get value from this far beyond the actual experience itself yeah and you can make it yeah. live on throughout the year yeah Okay. Great advice, David. That's David Bassett, Managing Director of Orange Works. And thanks again to our guest this episode, Pora Gilligan uh, and Patrick Delaney, co founders of Sul Nua. And um, all that's left to do is ask you to subscribe or follow us wherever you're listening to this podcast um, so that you never miss interviews with global leaders in the world of team performance and employee engagement. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>